Welcome to a special mailbag episode of the It's a Mimic podcast, where I, Adam, am sitting down with one of our Patreon subscribers, Scott, who has generously become one of our patrons of Metallic Great Worm Tier. That means that he's able to sit down and record an episode with us, and he decided that today we're going to be creating some NPCs for the module he's running for his players called Extinction Curse. Well, you thought I was going to say Wild Beyond the Witchlight, didn't you? No, today we're visiting D&D's estranged half-brother, Pathfinder and going over a really unique mechanic that I'm sure we're all going to want to steal for our Witchlight Carnivals and Rakdos Cults and Wandering Domain of Wonder, known as the Carnival, that wanders between the Domains of Dread and the Shadowfell. It is amazing how many Carnivals and Circuses inhabit our fantasy tabletop role-playing games, and there's always room for a few more colorful characters. But before we get into those colorful characters, let's take a few moments to dive into the history of this new colorful character, Scott. And we're going to sit down and talk a little bit about who you are and where you're coming from and on tabletop role-playing games and your experience and your nerd cred and all that. But before we do anything else, you have a tradition. I do have a tradition. It is a tradition of mine. Every time before I uh, play D&D, I take a shot on my way out the door. Uh, so I have a shot of whiskey here. Uh, what do you got your shot of? Oh, I'm, I'm working on a whiskey as well. What kind of whiskey are you drinking? Um, I'm drinking Buffalo Trace bourbon. Ooh, a bourbon. I've got, uh, Tullamore Dew Irish whiskey. So, Ooh. Yeah. well, Hey, cheers to that. <laughs> cheers. To, this is, it hits 11 AM <laughs> and I am doing a shot of whiskey. This it's a good Saturday. All right. Look, at sure, least yeah. it's noon for me. Yeah. All right. Cheers. Oh, Yeah. See, and I'm of the opinion that the base, best chaser for whiskey is a sip of water, because then you'll get different flavors. I agree with you. Water brings out, water and ice bring out different uh, flavors with your whiskey. Yep. That is a sipping whiskey, and I've forgotten that. <laughs> to be fair, oh. mine kind of is a sipping whiskey too, but eh. No, the worst part of that was that I had a glass of orange juice before we started recording. Adam. Yeah, didn't think that went through. But here we are. <laughs> well, I die slowly underneath the desk. Why don't you tell us a little bit um, about yourself? Where are you from? What do you do? Like, Who is Scott? Yeah, so I am from Colorado. Been here pretty much my whole life. Uh, grew up out in the middle of nowhere, but I've been living in the Denver metro for the past, oh, coming up five years now. Um, yeah, I am a customer service rep for a small company, uh, but I'm working on my accounting degree. So um, hopefully someday I will get a CPA and be a rich accountant who can buy all the minis he wants. That's the dream, isn't it? Honestly. Okay, I've got to ask before we go any further. Um, there's a lot of things in D&D and whatnot about like hell dimensions and Pathfinder's got hell dimensions and, and demons and devils and whatnot. So can you explain your airport to me? <laughs> so DIA, uh, it's, it's a magical little place. Um, they have uh, about... 40 different conspiracy theories, depending on who you ask. Mm -hmm. One of my favorites is that it's uh, where the lizard people Illuminati meet in the underground of DIA. They always say that there's like underground bunkers and tunnels under DIA, which honestly, I believe uh, Denver has the second largest concentration of uh, federal buildings outside of Washington, D.C., so yeah, if something happened to DC, Denver would be the new capital. 
That's so bizarre. Yeah. I didn't know that. That's weird. Like, why Colorado? Like, why Denver of all places? I honestly couldn't tell you why, but uh, to think about it, if let's just say some country did something and uh, DC is not operable, good luck with Denver. We're smack dab in the middle of the country, backed against the Rocky Mountains. I want you to know that there's definitely weird shit that goes on at that airport. This is totally a sidebar for the rest of the conversation. I was not expecting to have this conversation, but I flew through Denver for the first time uh, back in August, and um, it was one of the most bizarre experiences of my life. There was a person dressed as a monk uh, that was literally grabbing just random people to hold a prayer circle in the middle of the terminal. And when that was done, he started to help people do yoga. And so there was a monk running yoga circles. I, I had about a four-hour layover. And I got to watch this for about an hour and a half from my seat as this guy was just pulling random people in and praising them to Jesus. And then doing a whole bunch of like contortionist moves and one of that I am fairly certain are not part of yoga. And then security showed up. And the, the thing that stuck out to me more than anything else was... How did you get back in here? And then he ran away and they chased him and tackled him down. So this guy gets behind the security lines somehow to hold prayer circles and yoga circles. It was the most bizarre experience of my life and I wouldn't trade it for the world. And you didn't even get to see Blucifer. No, I didn't. I wanted to, but I couldn't from, uh, from any of the windows that I could see. So that's okay. There's enough other weird art displays and a giant abraham lincoln that said civility that was he was like two stories tall and it was like it was just very very strange being in there yeah well you probably won't see blucifer from inside the airport he's just a hop skip and a jump out but he's on the only road leading to the airport so it's real fun at night when you're like what are those two red dots oh those are his eyes for those of you who don't know, Bluesver is a giant demonic. Does he breathe fire? I don't think he actually does, no. Okay. A lot of the pictures I've seen online, have, I guess they've photoshopped in fire. He's a giant demonic-looking horse statue out front of the, the Denver airport. It's fucking wild. I love it. Anyway. It's about two or three stories tall, so. <laughs> it's terrifying. Um, let's, let's get back to uh, tabletop role-playing games. And actually, what's your history with them? How long have you been playing them, and what have you been playing? Yeah, so I played my first uh, tabletop role-playing game, I want to say early high school. So uh, I had one of my younger brother's buddies had a Warhammer 40k role-playing game, and he talked me into playing a couple of weekends. It didn't go anywhere, but that was my first introduction. Um, Came back to it shortly after the pandemic. Uh, One of my neighbors, one of my uh, old co-workers, same person. Uh, he was hosting D&D, so we would play at his place, which is why I started my tradition of take a shot on your way out the door, because I just have to walk across the street. Um, played 5th edition, uh, have quite the tumultuous relationship with it, as every single game I have been in has folded for one reason or another. Every single one. Is it uh, is it because of the campaigns or the the mechanics or is it 
just like life it's life and personality clashes um i came very disinterested when uh i got to experience uh unnecessary fantasy racism coupled with torture yeah that's no fun it is amazing how many people out there use tabletop role-playing games to force other people into their own weird ideas and politics and bullshit so yeah it was no fun so i don't play with him anymore Mm -hmm. uh in fact i uh so before we get there i'll cover why we're talking pathfinder today and not DD. um I'm sure we all had our own little uh, reactions and fits that we threw when we heard about the OGL nonsense uh, earlier in the year. Uh, And of course, my knee jerk throwing a fit was to, fine, I'll check out Pathfinder. Well, one of the big differences with Pathfinder is it's a very crunchy game. The numbers are very well thought out, tried, tested. And is someone going to school for accounting? I love this. I love the numbers and how crunchy and how they make scaling work and everything. It's good time. So I am running a campaign, Extinction Curse, for two players right now. Uh, They are both my roommates because I'm not going to have them say, oh, no, I'm busy. (laughs) Where are you going to be? At home? I'll be there, too. (laughs) So it's uh, my boyfriend and his identical twin brother. Oh, gee. That's, that's amazing. That is amazing. Oh, man, you should try living with twins. It is a trip. I got to assume that. Okay, do they do weird twin stuff? Yeah. Uh, when I first moved in with them, uh, they since they've known each other for 24 years now, um, they don't always have to speak in complete sentences to each other. So they'll say half sentences, the other person will understand it, uh, and then they'll just keep going back and forth like that. Well, one time they were doing three conversations at a time like that, and one of the conversations they wanted my input, and they decided it would take too long to get me caught up on what they were talking about, then it, was, it just wasn't worth my input. <laughs> also, I, they're going to hate me for telling that story. I, uh, I've got a couple of uncles that are twins, and uh, Dan's got a couple of kids that are twins. So I like I've got twins around in my life and they always say, no, there's no weird twin stuff. And then there's absolutely weird twin stuff. I mean, it's not like weird, weird stuff. Like it's just like they know each other that well. They don't have to talk in full sentences to know what they're talking about. Oh, no. Dan's kids are are freaking weird twin stuff. They're they're outright unsettling. I think they might be the girls from The Shining. So um besides D and pathfinder and twins what else do you do uh, what other fandoms are you a part of skills personal details things to um, help us paint the picture of scott yeah uh i'm a avid video game player uh starfield has owned my life for the past couple of months um but unfortunately between working a full-time job and going to school part-time i don't have room for any more hobbies that's that's all i got I do Pathfinder and I play games when I can. That's fair. Um, what's your favorite uh, not D and D IP? Like, what's your favorite fandom? Um, I Skyrim. Skyrim owns my heart and soul. I have played thousands of hours of that game across like four different consoles. 
Skyrim is the game that I have sat down and watched other people play enough, and I I know, I know I cannot play Skyrim. It would be a bad idea. This podcast would falter and fail and disappear off the face of the planet. Uh, there would be no more D&D, and I would forget that I have a fiancé. I get so honed in on deep games, and and Skyrim would would eat my face. So well, we like Mieko, so don't go around doing that. <laughs> um, so besides the fact that you're playing with twins, um, what else about your table, the the characters, the players, should we know before we get into this? Yeah, so I am doing uh, two different optional rules for uh, my characters. One of them is going to be called Dual Class. Uh, It had its origins in, I think, 3.5 with a different name that I can't pronounce, so help me out here. Dual Class. Well, it starts with a G, what they called it in... uh... Oh, uh, the Gestalt. Yeah, I can't pronounce that, so (laughs) I ain't going to try. Fair enough. Pathfinder calls it Dual Class, and you know what? That makes sense. Yeah, look, fair enough. It's uh, that is an old holder. I don't think it was ever official rules. It was just something like um, like crit tables in fifth edition. It's just something people do. It's part of the zeitgeist, but I don't think that it was because I know that we, that Dan played it in fifth edition as well with a couple of people, and um, there's clearly not rules for that. Like you just you just level up twice as often and with more fun shit to do. So. Nope, it is official optional rules in Pathfinder. Uh, yeah, you pick two classes and you level up in them. Um, I'm also running free archetype. Archetypes are something that are not in D&D. Honestly, uh, the best way to describe archetypes is you have a whole line of like feats that are all in a specific type of category. Mm-hmm. Uh, typically, you have to trade class feats. Because in Pathfinder, you get feats literally every level. There's skill feats, general feats, ancestry feats, because we call them ancestries and not races in Pathfinder. Yeah. Um, and then we have your class feats, and you get at least one, if not like upwards of three every single level. Okay. So Extinction Curse has like the juggler archetype, where you want to juggle knives as you throw them in combat. Take the juggler archetype. There's so much more um, customizability Extreme. in Pathfinder. And I find that the difference between... We're not going to do a D&D versus Pathfinder podcast today. But I find that for those that are listening that haven't looked into it, D&D is so broad and open. You can do anything and make it up as you go and it will work. You can juggle knives and throw them as just about any character. Any rogue can do that, no problem. You just need a high enough, a high enough dex and sleight of hand right and then you're able to do that however pathfinder and this and i'm i'm going back to my 3.5 days and i dabbled with with pathfinder first edition you're playing second edition right correct i am playing second edition um they are so chunky and there's so many trees and paths to go down i i always joke pathfinder is called pathfinder because of the um, character progression path that you've got to pick right and there are optimal ways to do things suboptimal ways clearly but there are, you can have two characters playing the same class or from the same ancestry where, that are very thematically the same, but very mechanically different uh, in Pathfinder. There's rules for just about everything. And that's what I really like as a DM. Like in fifth edition, yeah, sure, let's do everything flavors free. I love it. Uh, but now it's up to me to figure out how that all works. In Pathfinder, there is a rule on how this works. 
and how it gets played, which takes a lot of, it alleviates a lot of that from me as a DM. I don't have to figure out, okay, well, what am I going to make you roll to juggle knives in combat as you want to throw them at enemies? Mm-hmm. Pathfinder has rules for that. And that is one of the things that I like about Pathfinder because I'm a rules guy. Like you hear the episodes I've sat there and rant about, we need a rule for this, we need a rule for this. However, I will say this, I find that most players that get caught up in the mechanics and the crunch, I'm speaking specifically with players that I've experienced, um, will care less about the story and the plot if they are busy worried about um, which modifiers are they putting together and whatnot. Having my characters be able to lean back and not worry about rules, not have to be flipping through rule books during other people's turns and whatnot, keeps them engaged at the table in a different way. Yeah, that's like the Pathfinder method, the the crunch is still engagement. It is just a different kind of engagement, right? And so we talk a lot on the podcast about um, storytelling. And I find that if you relax the rules, then you then it's a lot more fluid. Pathfinder has very specific um, very specific rules about everything about everything. So I find that you can lock yourself in to different ideas really, really, really solidly. Like um if you are juggling knives, for example, if your knives are on fire or they do acid damage or those knives are actually darts or something, there may be a rule for that, but you may have to go to another book. You may have to go digging through uh, bits and pieces. And that makes it, at least what I found with 3.5 and first edition of Pathfinder, that was a huge weight on the pocketbook on your wallet to be able to have all of those books to be able to find all of the stuff so now with second edition they actually have a completely official and even first edition of pathfinder uh they have a completely official online source of all of the rules for free so it is all of all of the little rules and stuff that you're going to find in the in the modules and the adventure paths yes but no like it has the stuff all the backgrounds for this module it has the archetypes the weapons the spells it does not have my circus sub rules okay like my subsystem for circuses is not on that website Mm -hmm. which is fine i mean i can buy the book for what twenty dollars you just need the first book and it has all the rules for it i just remember sitting there playing and being at a severe disadvantage because I only owned three books and the guy beside me with rich parents had 25 books and just had the better min maxi character that could do more and would leave me in the dust. And that that's the fault. That's a failing of 3.5. I'm not putting that on Pathfinder second edition. Um, but it's, it's one of the reasons why I'm pretty solidly fifth edition for now now that the ogl has settled i don't have any massive complaints although they keep trying to come up with controversy every time they release a fucking book so see and i wouldn't know i've been so detached uh listening to you guys is the most input i get on how it's going well we try not to bitch on the topical things because there's no repeat listen value to me going off about ai art in a book that was published seven years ago Right. So you're right. You just do that on the Discord channel. You're damn right. I do. <laughs> um, if if you are not one of the patrons and you would like to hear me rant regularly, join up and get access to the Discord channel. It's uh, a fun time. I'm not going to lie. I thoroughly <laughs> enjoy it. So um, clearly we're dealing with a, a circus, a carnival, right? In your campaign. Mm-hmm. Uh, is there anything in particular we need to know about plot or setting? 
So the setting, uh, we're just kind of on a small island right now. We're uh, in chapter two of four on book one of six. Uh, this campaign will take us from level 1 to 20. We're currently level 2. Uh, we're just on a small island close to a larger island with one of the biggest towns in the entire of Pathfinder universe. We are starting a new circus. Uh, one of my two players has decided that his background, he ran away from the other circus because the ringleader of that circus treats her performers as nothing more than slaves. So I mean, in... we don't kink shame, but go go on. <laughs> we'll get to her in another book. I just don't have that book. Um, where was I? Oh yes. So right now we joined this new circus with a whole ton of people that left that other circus and a couple of extras, but most of them came from this other circus. Uh, on the very first performance of this circus, uh, the ringleader dies. Oh, murdered by a horde of venomous snakes. Uh, my players have found this, so I don't feel bad about sharing it. Um, so literally right before the show is about to start, the ringleaders found dead and no one knows the order you have to perform in. So session one, let's run a circus. Fun. Um, we can get into the how the whole circus subsystem goes in a moment, but that is kind of uh, where we're at now. Um, I don't know the whole plot as I'm running a module, and it's six books, and I did not want to buy all six books at once, so I bought book one. Yeah, that's another big difference between Pathfinder and, and Dungeons and & Dragons is for Pathfinder, they separated into smaller softcover books so that it's little chapters, like one contained story. Um, that runs what one to four or yep. three levels or something, right? This so. book is one to four. It's ninety-two pages long. It contains the first one to four levels, all of the circus subsystem rules, and then additional like the backgrounds, the archetypes. The is weapons. there a bestiary in the back of it? Uh, yes, there is. Cool. Um, here I can. There's one where my players have already fought this character. She gets a whole two pages about her. So here I have my camera on so you can see. Oh, all right. Nice. Yeah. They that's, fought her uh, and killed that's her. That's more lore than we get on most of the NPCs in, uh, in D&D. So oh, is, yeah. there lot, is there a lot of good uh, useful role-playing tips and hints and whatnot in there? Yeah, I, I would say probably more than uh, in D&D, &D, although I have never run a D&D &D module. I've only been players for those modules um but it depends, yeah it depends on the module some of them are really well fleshed out and they give you hints and tips and some of them just leave you completely on your own so this one does good on hints and tips uh but i have been there is a podcast i listen to where they have a whole live play of this game and i just unapologetically steal from what that dm <laughs> does not even gonna apologize about it but they're good. They add a lot of character to a lot of these characters, and I'm like, that's how I'm going to do it. Yep, fair enough, fair enough. Um, is there anything else we should know about your campaign before we jump into it? Not really. I mean, that's the crux of it. Uh, we're running a circus. Uh, it's called Extinction Curse because, as I read through the synopsis, uh, eventually someone's going to try to uh, literally get rid of all life on the planet, and we have to stop the Extinction Curse. By harnessing the power of a dead god. 
but I don't know how that plays in yet because, well, again, I didn't buy the books. It's wild that that storyline starts from a place of like a circus. Yeah, like, I know, right? That's 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 interesting. Uh, that's interesting plotting for me. So in uh, every book, they add additional circus performers. Um, I will be will be making some today, and I will be adding them in in place of the NPCs they provide in the future. So why did you choose this this campaign? Out of all the campaigns out there, why this one? So I I had a hard time deciding. I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do. On Paizo's website for all of their adventure paths, they give they have little videos on like, hey, this is like the trailer for the campaign. And I sat down with my roommates, who are my players, and played all of the videos for them and said, what do we want to play? And they were so excited for a circus. So I said, okay, we'll play Extinction Curse. Fair, fair. Yeah, that's fun. And it sounds like the circus is actually a major feature for a while and not like Wild Beyond the Witchlight where the circus is chapter one. And then I don't think you ever deal with a circus again after that. Yeah, so I have read, uh, since it is a level 1 to 20 campaign, uh, towards the end of the campaign, uh, I think what I've seen online is about halfway through, the circus kind of fades into the background. But Well, that's, that's, mean, that's totally understandable. What happens in Tier 4 rarely has anything to do with Tier 1. So Yeah, but my players like a circus, so I will be having level 17 characters putting on quite the circus performance. Fair, fair. All right, so let's, uh, let's jump into the actual mechanics here of what we're dealing with, because the idea here is we're going to build a couple of NPCs, uh, maybe a few depending on, on time restraints, but there's a specific mechanic that we've got to look at um, and it's going to be based mostly around the idea of skills, right? Um, so let's go into it because Pathfinder skills are a little bit different than D&D skills and most of our listeners are will need a little touchstone here because they're not going to be familiar with Pathfinder. So uh, when it comes to the skills in Pathfinder, we have acrobatics, arcana, athletics, and then we have crafting. And crafting is, it has its own rule set Unlike D&D, where in a future episode, you will hear us rant and bitch and complain about the crafting. We have an entire episode that's going to be dedicated to it. Um, and then deception, but diplomacy. And diplomacy, as far as I can tell, takes place of the persuasion skill in 5th yeah. edition. So uh, there's intimidation. And then there's lore. And this is a holdover from 3.5. And uh, I I miss my lore at, um, skill. And this is whether or not you have knowledge about certain things, right? And so you can, do you choose to put ranks into skills or do they just automatically get them based on other decisions? Like, So you do pick, so your ans your ancestry will never give you a skill. So I don't know why I brought that up. <laughs> your background will often give you a lore skill. So whichever background you pick will give you a relevant lore skill. Um, I can literally pull up a background here if I felt like it to give it to you, but like one of them's, one of the backgrounds is a clown. Uh, you get circus lore. I mean, that's, that's fair enough, right? It's going to be things that make sense for this particular character to understand and to know. I really miss having lore and knowledges and, uh, and crafts as, as different skills to have uh, for players. 
but I mean, it frustrates me that this is that we also don't have uh, any gather information, right? Yeah, which, which we'll, well talk about in a minute here as there's well. There's a whole role role for that in uh, Pathfinder. Yeah, I also can cover how skills differ in proficiency if you'd like me to do that now or later. Yeah, sure. Hold on one second. Let me let me go through the rest of the list here. So, medicine and nature uh, sound relatively normal, but then there's occultism, and occultism is how would you how would you describe it as being different from arcana? So, arcana is going to be well, obviously, it's your arcane. So, it's you know your study of like high magic and that kind of stuff. Uh, occultism, on the other hand, is more like your ghosts, spirits, voodoo, that kind of stuff. Which is different than religion, which we also have, right? So, which yes, is gods and deities. Yeah, um, there's uh, performance. There's uh, society, which I believe is your gather information skill, right? Where yeah, it's gather information on humans. It's how well do you know societies as a whole, how people behave, operate, different ancestries, and that kind of stuff. Cultures and languages and exactly and and whatnot. Yeah. Uh, stealth is pretty familiar and survival is pretty familiar. And then we have thievery, which covers sleight of hand and all other pickpocketing needs, right? So, yep, it's pretty much sleight of hand. And uh, and that's all of it. It does a pretty good job of covering the bases, although it does split uh, arcana and occultism. And it, uh, instead of just it being arcana or religion in um, in fifth edition, and it adds crafting and lore, which I which I really like. So, um, when we talk about the skills today what we're doing is we're actually going to be attributing them to traits and so as i understand it i did a very little bit of research based on a couple of photos that you took of the book and you sent to me beforehand um i have some basic idea of how this works and what we're going to be doing is creating a circus npc and that in that npc is going to have one kind of um act that they do and associated with that is going to be um uh what's called a trick which forces you to do certain kind of roles, depending on the trick, different kind of skill checks to be able to determine success or failure, which will then impact the audience, right? Correct, yeah. So uh, one of the basic things that I was able to glean from the little bit of information I got was that if you use the same trick in the same act, then you get a minus five the second time you use it and a minus 10 on the third time. And every every other roll after that is, is a minus 10. And those right. numbers are used elsewhere in Pathfinder. That's your multiple attack penalty if you want to attack more than once in a turn because Pathfinder has a completely different uh, action economy. Yeah, which is wild. And I would love to talk about it, but we don't have room on it today. But it's it's very interesting. Um, but the it, the minus five and the minus ten um, are what you get on the trick rolls that you'll be doing, right? Uh, it seems like there is a scale for excitement and anticipation as well. Yeah. So essentially, your anticipation is uh, how like excited people are to show up to your circus and what they're expecting to see. Uh, the biggest way to honestly gain anticipation is to advertise that your circus is going to perform. Fair. Yeah. Are there, are there mechanics for that? Yes, there are. There okay. are. Hold on. I'm flipping through my book. Nope, not that page. There are 12 different tiers of advertisements Holy that shit. the circus can purchase, ranging from one gold to 3,000 gold. And this is the thing where... If you were to add a mechanic like that into 5th edition, people would complain that it doesn't feel like D&D because it's a game within a game. But because Pathfinder is so crunchy and there are so many rules 
any additional rule that's added is just another one in this massive, you know, grab bag of rules that, that you can use. And that's not a bad thing. Oh, right? I ignore well over half of the rules because it's nothing that my party's doing. Yeah. The witch class, I don't care about anything it can do or does do. Mm-hmm. No one's playing a witch in my campaign. Um, what's the excitement rules? That's I assume if you succeed, then then your excitement goes up and that uh so yes. Uh but what's the benefit of that in the game? Just so more money? yeah, essentially. Um okay. You gain excitement from either a success or a critical success. Um, Criticals in Pathfinder are a little different. Uh, You get a critical success or failure for rolling 10 over or under your DC. So if my DC is 16 and I get a 26, that's a critical success. Does not matter if I rolled a natural 20. Interesting. Yeah. Well, well, you're not dealing with bounded accuracy, right? You're dealing with a lot more with modifiers and scaling, right? So Yes. That makes a lot of sense. Because you add your level to your proficiency modifier every time. So you get higher bonuses the higher you level up. This which is, my this poor is another players... major difference. This is another major difference between Pathfinder and D&D is in Pathfinder, you become a specialist as you go on, become very, very good at some things, but you will never get better at anything else. And so you got to leave that stuff behind. If you are, if you never deal with stealth, you never touch it on your character sheet then at high levels, that stealth is going to really suck. You will be not stealthy at all, good luck. Whereas bounded accuracy kind of keeps it a fairly level playing field and everyone is more broad. Well, and then we have four tiers of proficiency with a skill. I really, really love the math puzzle of Pathfinder. Oh, me too. But I know that I've got one, two, three, four, four players at my table that would not be interested in sitting down and and hashing that out so oh one of my players is not like that which mind you one of them is half of my players uh he just decides this is what he's gonna do and it's my responsibility to sift through the rules to tell him how it's gonna play out he is pure chaos and i absolutely love it there's something to be said for that like old school DD put all of the onus on the dm for all of the rules but also for all of the roles right the idea of having your player be in control of everything they can do including their own roles and their character progression is something that has evolved through the years right so players that are like hey you know what you figured out you do it these days a lot of people would be annoyed by that but honestly that's kind of vintage D&D, right? Yeah, well, and I Pathfinder has the rules for that, so you tell me what you want to do, and I'm going to look it up. Yeah, right? So, um, now... So, yes, th- when you roll your success or critical success, you gain excitement. And then um, that excitement equals gold, and then gold unlocks your ability to... Yes, so if your show is... Your circus performance is considered a success if your excitement is more than your anticipation. People were so people were anticipating your performance, and they were more excited in their performance than they were uh, excited to show up, which is great. We all yeah. we all want to be pleasantly surprised that something was better than we thought it was going to be. I did that um, in the Barbie movie. D- yeah. I haven't seen it. Oh, I still need to. <laughs> uh, so you add your prestige and final anticipation, and that's your payout in gold. Now, if you equal out your excitement and anticipation. You get double the gold. Now, oh, if yeah. you are 
there's going to that's going to be harder to do too because again you're not stuck with bounded accuracy right so you're not dealing with like a 1 to 20 or maybe it goes up to 22 like you can go up into the 40s in pathfinder like it's, easy yeah it's more difficult to land on a specific goal number so Yep. Although there are some traits that'll help out with that. We'll get to those later. Right. Um, now, if your excitement does not meet or surpass your anticipation, you get one fourth of the payout. Right. 25% of the payout. That's all you get. Even if you miss it by one. Even if you miss it by one. Rough. They were excited to show up and you kind of left them hanging. Uh, what are the co-star rules? Co-star rules. This is something that my players have never done because they don't want to share the spotlight with anybody. As I understand it, you do large acts that that involve multiple people doing multiple tricks, and therefore you've got co-stars with you. Uh, kind that- of. Yeah. Uh, so there are four acts in the circus. Uh, you have the opener, which is just one person doing their trick. Uh, then you have the buildup, which is two people doing tricks side by side. Now, you can co-star, or you can have two people doing their own tricks, and a different part of the audience will just be watching a different performance. Okay. Uh, moving on, you have the big number, which is one person center stage all on their own. And then the finale is three tricks at a time. So you have a total of seven PCs and PCs doing tricks all at the same time. Okay. Uh, in the buildup or the finale, you can have someone co-star. It uses up their reaction, uh, and you essentially aid them, which is a whole set of rules in Pathfinder where you roll against the DC for their check and try to set them up to look even better by giving them bonuses to their rolls. I want to point out, because we've mentioned this in the past when when we talk about 5th edition, that it's a combat-oriented system. Because while there are rules and mechanics and numbers for the environment, uh, for the exploration pillar, there's very little for the role-playing pillar outside of, of spells like friends and charming and whatnot, right? So you're rolling opposing skill checks and then moving the fuck on. There's not a whole lot of, of gamification or or codified rules. This is a perfect example of codified rules for a role-playing scenario. And it's not something we're used to seeing. That's why it feels so weird and foreign to people playing 5th edition, right? So even 4th edition. And 3.5 had a couple of little things like this, but they were still usually based around combat, sometimes exploration, right? So it's cool to see something like this for for role-playing. I'm excited. Don't get me wrong. Pathfinder 2nd Edition is largely balanced around combat. It is also combat-oriented, but it also has those rules for role-playing and exploration. Are they significantly less than the combat rules? Yes, but they're there. Yeah, and and that's just it. With uh, With the way that we want to game... In tabletop role-playing games, we tend if the moment it's a tabletop role-playing game, chances are good it's combat-oriented, right? It's going to be focused on that. If we want to world-build or do exploration or do role-playing and stuff, we end up playing certain collectible card games or board games or other things, right? Tabletop role-playing games absolutely can be. Call of Cthulhu is exploratory. That's the whole thing. Do not get into combat. But half of the rules are combat-based, right? So 
we very much lean in that direction. It's just it's nice to see other systems and how they handle the other pillars, which is which is fun. I'm like I say, I'm excited about this. So I will absolutely steal this kind of shit for uh, my own carnivals and games. So uh, the other thing to point out is that there there are different levels of uh, tricks with increasing uh, DCs attached to them, right? Yes, since you add your level to your proficiency modifier, uh, it uses just the standard DC for your level, which gets higher and higher up the higher level you are. Uh, but it's going to be the same average of rolling a d20 to make it as it was from levels 1 to 20. I mean, of course, it'll get easier if you're like, hey, this skill that I use for my performance I'm going to level up more so I get higher bonuses in. You'll have an easier time getting that roll going. Fair enough. I also noticed that you've got to burn one of do you, do you get this as a bonus feat or do you do you have to burn one of your feats to get the uh advanced circus trick? So that would be a separate feat that you can take. I don't know what category it is off the top of my head. Uh, but yes, you would have to take one of your other feats to take that feat. Okay. Yeah. So that's kind of the cost of, of getting into this, um, which makes it a general feat, I think it says in the book. Okay. Yep. General feat. That's its own category. Okay. Now yep. you get feats every single level it's how you design your character and how you want to play them the idea here is that every trick has traits we're going to talk about there's so many different rules here so we've got the feat that allows you to do tricks each trick has a trait and the traits give you skills so let, let, let me let me explain really quickly um for for the listeners and correct me when i get this wrong you take the feet and that allows your character to put on or to become a part of the act, essentially. So, no? So starting this campaign off, every player character has a trick. You design your trick. Uh, you pick one skill, attack roll, or saving throw that you want to be your dice roll for that trick. Uh, and then you get to add a trait. If you take that feat, it just opens up the door and allows you to add more skill checks and more traits but you don't okay. have to take the feat if you don't want it it just opens up the door and gives you more options if you don't sure. want that minus five or that minus ten gotcha okay 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 and there are a bunch of different um traits here right so different traits are things uh they're just they're like skills um but they there comes with a little bit of an explanation with with each one so uh, you get access to agile, animal, fire, and water style traits. Uh, you learn more as you hire more NPC performers and you can um, kind of expand your, your horizons a little bit. And some of the, these traits give a plus one to a specific skill when you do the trick. And it tells you what skill the trait gives the plus one to. Yeah. And some tricks have mandatory traits due to the nature of them. Yeah, like one of the NPCs, she dunks herself in a tank of water and picks the locks on her handcuffs. Uh, since she's underwater, she'll have to do a fortitude save to hold her breath, and that comes with the injury trait. If she critically fails, she might not be able to perform next time. Yeah, so let's let's jump into the traits because there's a decent list of them, so I'm going to just rattle these off quickly. Um, there's Ariel, so your trick... Uh, Includes flight of some sign of some kind, uh, either mundane or magical, and it gives you a plus one to your acrobatics check when you have an aerial or a flight aspect to the to the trick. 
If you have an air trait, it means that you're manipulating air or wind in some way, and it gives you a plus one to survival. If you're doing, uh, if you've got alchemical, that means that you're using a single use alchemical object, uh, and you gain a plus one on whatever the trick check is. It doesn't matter. It's just any trick check gets a plus one because you got his prop. Uh, agile uh, means that you're using agile tricks multiple times incurs only a negative four or negative eight, right? Instead of the negative five, negative 10. So it encourages you to keep doing this, the agile uh, trick over and over and over again. If you've got the animal trait, it includes animals somehow and gives you a plus one to your nature checks. If you have an audience trait, it means that you're dealing with audience participation. I'm thinking like a carnival barker or a stand-up comedian, right? And it gives you a plus one to society. If there's yeah. a beast trait, that means that this trick includes magical beasts. And there is a difference between animals and magical beasts, right? So um, in Dungeons and Dragons, we, we've got to keep an eye on that because in D&D, beasts are just animals, right? And monstrosities are the magical beasts. So, um, but if that gives you a plus one to Arcana. If you have the dance trait, then it includes dancing or choreography. And that one was a little bit stranger. So you get a circumstance bonus to trick checks gained from performers using their co-star reaction. So depending on how well they do, you will get bonuses, if I'm understanding that correctly. Yeah, none of my players or the NPCs use the dance trait, so I don't really know fully how it functions, because I don't need to. What does it say here? For example, if two other PCs successfully co-star with their ally and have the master proficiency rank in that trick check, so I'm assuming it's one of the higher ranks, right? Yeah. Yep. It's trained expert master legendary. So that's pretty far up there to get master. Okay. Then, yeah, then their total circumstance bonus granted from the co-star reaction is plus six rather than plus three. So normally you get a plus three if you do. Okay. Interesting. Um, for earth, uh, if you use mud, earth, or stone, you get plus one to occultism. Uh, there's emotion by using uh, alchemy or magic. You can reduce the excitement and anticipation down to zero. Which is if you're trying to meet those two for your uh, critical success of a show, yeah, that's going to come in handy. Yeah, that's huge. So you're you're essentially gassing the audience, which is hilarious. Um, uh, fire clearly involves anything with fire, but also smoke or pyrotechnics. That one gives a plus one to intimidation, which I thought was really neat. Um, and as someone that has been to the backdraft show or, or I guess, experience at the old Universal Studios in L.A., like when when that room lights up, when it blows up around, you feel the heat. Yeah, the intimidation factor is real. So that's that's fun. The next one is injury. If you or an NPC roll a saving throw, the trick automatically adds an injury trait due to danger. If you critically fail, you roll a DC 15 standard check uh, uh, and you are injured and can no longer do tricks in the show uh, if you critically fail. On top of that, you have to pass a DC 15 check on the following show to see if you've recovered enough to participate. And the fun part about this, it's specifically a flat 15 DC, which yeah. in Pathfinder terms means no pluses, no minuses. You roll that D20 and you need to beat 15 in order to not get seriously injured and perform again. And yeah, so you have a 25% chance of being able to do it a little bit more than, I guess, a 30% chance. However, you uh, this only lasts for two shows. 
right? And then after that, you're back up on your feet again. So it's not crippling. Well, in book one here, there's only one circus performance that it has you do. Ooh, so yeah. it is crippling. Well, there you I, <laughs> I gave my uh, my players the option, hey, if y'all want to do another circus, let's do it. It's fun. Well, I wonder, I, I think that, like, look, as someone who was a freaking clown we we had a freak show that would that was there uh, and i'll talk about them in a little bit um but they did multiple shows every night so i think the idea is if you get injured on the first show of the evening you might not be able to do the second show that evening this book does include its own sideshow uh there aren't any rules for the sideshow just the main big top performers okay um the injury thing so it's it's any save and do we still just have the three saves in in Pathfinder? Yeah, fortitude, they're reflex, named and will? different. Yeah, it's fortitude, reflex, and will. So I guess it's not named different. <laughs> uh, it's it's very different fifth edition, but it's the same as it was in uh, first edition Pathfinder and three point five. Yeah, so it's only Constitution, Dexterity, and Wisdom. Wisdom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That hasn't changed. Cool. Um, the magical trait means if you use magic uh, on a success. You add additional excitement equal to the expended spell slot, which means that you have to use one spell slot, but you can choose what level you want to do it. So you can, if there's a magical um, component, you can actually boost up your excitement roll quite a bit. I mean, the circus is going to perform at the end of the day anyway. If you have yeah. spell slots, let's burn them. Absolutely. Although me as a dungeon master would absolutely have encounters pop up after as everybody's leaving and shit, right? What? So. That certainly didn't happen in this first book. No way. <laughs> um, the musical trait means that you uh, are involving music somehow. You get a plus one to performance. There's the plant trait, which is interesting. If you use plants or fungi in any way, then you get a plus one to nature, which was cool. I'm trying to think like you're putting your head inside a giant Venus flytrap. Like what's the, what's the plant? Good question. I don't know. The only thing I can think of is one of the new classes that they released is the kineticist. They have all these, all the different elements, but they also added metal and uh, metal and wood. So mm. if I wanted to be a wood kineticist and I'm doing weird things with trees. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Or you just, you just like look, look at these uh these smoke rings that can blow from my from my pipe. Does that count as plant? Um so. I, I don't think I'd give that plant. No. Uh <laughs> I don't think you're rolling nature to blow smoke rings. <laughs> I think that'd be performance personally. Uh, there's prop trait as well, which uses a mundane prop or a stage setup like a springboard or a pool of water or something, right? So that a puppet a, show. Yeah, it's a crafting plus one. Uh team trait just includes more than one person. And uh, the time trait includes time fuckery. So you actually get to make the trick for free a second time. Uh, and you get uh, minus five, minus five on the third or fourth uses. So after that, it doesn't hurt quite as badly to try. Um, and then you have uh, the final one is the water trait, which essentially just uses water as a primary feature of the trick and gives you a plus one to athletics. So I assume that this is not just like, like a... a squirting flower but more of you within a pool of water if it's going to be athletics yep uh that npc who dunks herself in water she has the water trait yep there we go so let's talk about the examples that, that we get from the book there's axel's amazing aviary which is an animal trait so that produces birds that do tricks from underneath his cape 
and gives them a plus seven to nature checks. There's the Dwarven Throwers, which has the team trait. Uh, they're aerial tumblers. They don't actually fly. So I assume, based on the art, that you're firing them out of a cannon, but it doesn't say cannon anywhere? Uh, it does say in the description that they shape themselves into a living ballista and launch themselves through the air. Oh, so they so throw well, each other. So they are the Dwarven the... Throwers. They throw each other. Nobody throws a dwarf. So um, they've got acrobatics plus seven, athletics plus ten. Uh, there's uh, Elysia and Mr. Tickles. I almost don't want to describe that and just let people imagine. But this is an animal trait because Mr. Tickles is a 16-foot anaconda. Uh, but there are other vipers and snakes and stuff in the show as well. Plus seven to intimidation, plus seven to nature. So even though there's not fire involved in this, you're still getting the imitation um, oh, yeah. bonus, right? So Well, she doesn't get the bonus to intimidation. She only gets the bonus to her nature rolls since she has the animal check, the animal trait. Oh, so then why does it list? I don't know, man. Intimidation. No, it, I, I think you you have to do the two checks on this, right? I, I will be honest. I just pick when I roll because you have your three actions uh, and can do what you want with it. So the next one is the Flamboni Sisters. Uh, and this is, uh, they've got fire, injury, and team. So fire because they're juggling you know fire sticks essentially it's two sisters which is why they it's a team as well but because fire is involved the nature of it means that they might have to make fortitude saves uh, against the fire so injury tag is on it as well i just make them roll that that, if they fail yeah what's interesting is that the check listed here is deception plus seven but fire should have a intimidation well it's not that the traits say what you have to roll it gives you what you get a bonus to if you do that you can have fire with deception but you're not going to get that plus one for the fire trait no that doesn't that doesn't i i was under the impression automatically pushes that onto the no only if it has the little asterisk by it so team and injury are the only two that automatically get added I know, man. There's a lot of rules. It gets confusing. Those are the ones that are compulsory. Those are the ones that absolutely have to be added. But if you want to roll deception with fire, you're more than welcome to. But fire gives a plus one bonus to intimidation. So if you roll intimidation with fire, you get a plus one. If you roll deception with fire, you do not. But does she get a, what, the plus seven to it then? Is that what the check is? Yes, she does get the plus seven, but she doesn't have the... They don't get that plus one for the fire trait if they used intimidation. Interesting. Yeah. It's confusing. Uh, I'm going to be honest. I just do what I want to do because it's my game. <laughs> um, for uh, We get the Featherfall 5, uh, which are... Um, some tightrope acrobatics. It's uh, all agile and team-based, right, as they bounce around on tightrope way up in the, in the sky. Uh, acrobatics plus eight, athletics plus six. And then there's the one that you spoke about, Mordain the Magician, who is all about injury in water and escaping um, from a water tank while manacled. Um, it's very interesting the way that we look at these mechanics. I would absolutely because they've got the the trait listed on them, uh, but it's different than the checks that they get. I, I get the impression that the list of traits that we got before um, that all have a plus one to this and a plus one to that um, means that it encourages you to use these different traits but you, or the different skills, but you don't have to use the skills. You can use whatever you want. Correct.
correct. Yes, I could do an attack roll with the fire trait because I'm I don't know throwing flaming daggers, uh, but I don't get any bonuses for that for the attack roll. What's interesting is that they're giving additional bonuses, right? So like it's plus seven to uh, deception for the for the Flamboni sisters. Where's that plus seven coming from, right? Like that seems to be a huge bonus. Well, it's actually not that far-fetched to have a plus seven as a level one character. That's uh, Typically, I think you can get as high as a plus eight for level one. So plus seven's not too far out to get. Yeah, you just have to, it's essentially what the character's built for. Now, the fact that the Dwarven Throwers get a plus 10 to acrobatics is, uh, no, to plus 10 to athletics is very impressive for a level one character. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. I mean, if you're like, hey, look, I want to be the character that lies through my teeth, but then my circus performance, I'm going to involve fire. You're going to be rolling pretty high against your DC 15 with like a plus eight or nine. Yeah, no, fair enough. So like just for context for people as well, in case they haven't put it together yet on your character sheet, you will have bonuses and all of these skills as well. So you're adding that plus one. It's not like in D&D where you've got really low um, skills. Uh, you've got, like you say, a plus seven, a plus eight, and you may be adding a plus one or another plus seven or eight, depending on, you know, the nature of the, of the skill as well. So yeah, Pathfinder um, makes it really easy to be really good at the things you want to be really good at, but then you're going to suck at everything else. Yeah. It, it, I feel that you could have a two person party in D and D and still be able to cover most of the skills or at least not suffer too much. Um, if you desperately wanted to, you could throw in an NPC and round out all of the skills and saves. However, in Pathfinder, you become specialists. There are some things you will just suck at, so don't do them, right? Now, one of my players is a rogue, and he is literally trained in 14 skills. There are 15 options. And yeah, and that's the other um, that's the other thing, too, for uh, for the way that rogues are built. They're very different. They're very intelligence-based in Pathfinder as opposed to... Um, or they were in 3.5 anyway, because your skills were based on your intelligence. There are essentially subclasses, in quotey fingers, for the rogue in Pathfinder that kind of lets you choose what you want to base off of. Uh, my player did pick the one that lets you base it off intelligence. Cool. All right, so let's look at what uh, different circus acts there are and what we can glean from what D&D brings to the table. So... I went digging through the D&D source material just to find out what options there are for circuses and, and carnival performers. And and there's three different circuses that we get. There's the Wild Beyond the Witchlight, the, clearly the Witchlight Carnival. There's the Carnival from the Shadowfeld. You can read about that in the Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft. And then there's the Cult of Rakdos from Ravnica. So... And that one is an evil carnival. So I'm going to leave that to end. We'll just breeze by it really quickly because you guys are, you've already escaped the evil carnival, right? So yeah, we'll fight them later. It's fine. So when you are dealing with the uh, witch light, there are a couple of backgrounds that you can get, but they're all like fae based except for one, which lets you just be a witch light hand. Uh, and you get automatic bonuses to performance and sleight of hand. And you get the disguise kit or a musical instrument and you get an extra language. I like the extra language because that kind of hails back to the idea of the like the Russian circus performers that would uh, come over to America back at the turn of the uh, 20th century and and 
kind of make their wares. Like I like the idea that you are coming from Eastern Europe or or from Asia, and so you've got a, a different custom, a, a different uh, society that you've been living with, a different culture, and you're bringing it over because a lot of carnivals and circuses were roving. They picked people up, right? And they were homes for people that couldn't really make it anywhere else. So uh, I like that the Sky's Kid or Musical Instrument is just a fifth edition flavor and bullshit, but performance and sleight of hand make a lot of sense, right? Um, you do get kinds of carnival connections, though, which I thought were really interesting for inspiring different NPCs. So let me go through the D8 list um, here really, really quickly. There might be something here that that sparks some inspiration. N number one is an old cantankerous witch light hand. So someone who uh, supports the performances, but is, you know, old and gnarled and, and man, I worked I worked for a hunted event, but I also worked um, during the regular summer seasons, uh, late spring and early summer, where we had an amusement park. But when we've got the Pacific National Exhibition that comes and um, inhabits that area, the carnies come and there are far more games. Those carnies, holy shit. And I, I know that it's probably not the most PC thing to say, but I've had experiences, and I know that not every carnival is like this, but I've had experiences with like, there was a guy with a literal hole through his hand that just didn't heal right. And between, like, you know, that, flesh, that flap of skin between your forefinger and thumb, he just had a hole he could put his pinky finger through it because he drilled through his hand one time and it never healed right. He didn't want to go to the hospital because God knows why. He also had a whole lot of clearly DIY tattoos all over his face. So like there were some characters and some of them were lifers. They There was one woman, she must have been 150 and she, but like the fastest tongue, she had no, no issue whatsoever putting you in your fucking place. And so like, I, I love her. The old cantankerous witchlight hand rings very true to me. I mean, if you're 150, I expect you to put me in my place. Yeah, like she walked around with a cane, but she carried it. She didn't, I never saw her use it. And I think it was just for hitting people. Yep, so, it's her switch. Yeah, there was a young impressional witchlight hand as a second one, which I mean is the exact opposite, but that's very much something I saw as well because we would have the people that we would hire into the haunted house um or the uh new hires the young teenagers working the rides of the games or whatnot but they would be smoking and so in the smoke tent you would watch them like scared as fuck of the older carnies that were in there as well and like it was neat to watch um i was in my late 20s early 30s at this point and had seen some shit myself so like i was able to kind of walk both worlds a little bit so it was neat to see them have uh, have, have the different perspectives. But um, number three is just a performer, such as an acrobatic clown or musician. So I'm not really getting anything from that. But number four is a retired performer, someone that's stuck around in the crowd and whatnot. Maybe they used to do one job and now they're doing something else, like being a carnival barker, right? They used to do something like uh, involving fire and now they are completely bald and the hair won't grow back. Right. Yeah, uh, the leader of the sideshow in this book, the professor, was a fire swallower, and uh, he don't talk too well anymore. <laughs> Old raspy voice from being burned so many times, so uh, he's kind of quiet. But look, yeah, look, my, my throat has been thrashed from years of sm of chain smoking back in my 
well carnival days so like i i fucking i feel that um you have the seasoned animal trainer one of the ones or a couple of things that i really liked was is when they stepped outside the basic idea of it being a human an old blink dog is one of them right having a semi-intelligent like monstrous creature that's a lot of fun the next one is a cheery sprite if do you like clearly Faye lines up perfectly with carnivals and i mean that's the whole witch like book right but but i think that's something to think about i we saw like the dwarven throwers and and whatnot but we didn't get a whole lot like is everybody else i think the flamboni sisters have like elven ears but everybody else is just a human we're not getting a whole lot of of halflings and goliaths and any of that stuff right so we should really start thinking about fleshing it out with kind of the less common ancestries or playable races in D&D speak. Uh, and then the last one is a harmless magical wisp of light that has no stat block. It has a flying speed of 30 feet. It can hover and it sheds bright light in a five foot radius and dim light for an additional five feet. And it just wanders through the carnival. Yep. I love it. I love it. <laughs> I think that would be just a really interesting thing to like, this is a creature they think it showed up one day and it likes to perform with this kind of, of trick. Right. And so sometimes when it shows up, you get a team trait to it, you know, like it can yeah. be something wild like that. I'm going to have this little ball of light. And the only thing it says is, Hey, listen, no. Okay. No, 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 no. As someone who has not played a whole lot of video games, I have played that and it needs to just not. See, fortunately, it would go completely over all of my players' heads, so I could do it and they'd be none the wiser. There, there are going to be a select few listeners who just twitched. So um, when we move over to the carnival from the Shadowfell and Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft, the whole deal of this carnival is it's one of the only ways to travel between the other domains. So if you can join up with the carnival, you can actually travel to one of these other little pocket dimensions within the Shadowfell. Um, and it is a prison. It is a punishing thing for one Dark Lord there. But I'm not going to talk about that. I'm going to talk about the fact that it gave us six NPCs. And it gave us a little bit more depth to them. So let me let me read it out directly. There's Tyndall the Barker. Tyndall, the carnival's cynical, fast-talking lead Barker, is a mage and uses a mage stat block. And they, he tours the grounds with visitors. At the last stop, he reveals his only uniqueness is the amazing, uh, or his own uniqueness as the amazing soulless man. He casts no reflection and claims to lack a soul. There's Alti the Werehair, who is a quick-tongued rapper and dancer. Uh, you use a were-rat stat block for this, but he's just a were-rabbit. Um, but he's a bombastic performer who, who turns into a rabbit on Nights of the Full Moon. There's Amelia the Vampire, who uh, is a cheery acrobat aided in her performance by a pair of leathery wings that allow her to fly. Before stepping on stage, she patters her face, affects a somber accent, and pretends to be undead. She's not actually a vampire. She's just a person with fake wings. I love it. I love it. Ooh, There's Charlotte the Fire Eater. Uh, this is a juggling daredevil uh, with a dizzying array of flaming knives and other deadly objects. She claims that her blood is flammable and that she's burned the hair off 18 hecklers. And then there's the organ grinder, who is a somber clown grinding an ornate barrel organ. This speaks to me directly. Uh, an attendant group of mischievous, half-trained, not quite identifiable animals uh, all dance to his music. The clown never speaks, but allows visitors to guess the animal's nature for a copper piece. So the last one is Celessa the Snake. 
a dancer and animal tamer, and Celessa is actually a druid who performs with a collection of rare serpents. She claims she was born a snake and magically transformed into an elf. I love that. I love that. So, as you can see, there are a lot of really interesting... Compared to the six NPCs offered in the Pathfinder book, these ones are far more outlandish, right? Let me okay. talk for just a moment here about the Cult of Rakdos. Perfect. Uh, there's not a whole lot of inspiration to grab because, like I say, it's an evil cult. It's an evil carnival, right? But it does give us things like the Spike Wheel Acrobat, which is a guy who is... is you, do you seen the Vitruvian Man, the Da Vinci's, the... the yeah. Right? It's that only in a giant iron wheel with spikes on the outside, and he's like an acrobat that rolls around in that thing all the time. And, I love it. I um, love it. There's the lampooning satirist, so the guy that warms up the audience by heckling them. Um, there's the fire juggler, a marionette puppeteer, something called a pain artist we don't need to go too far into, uh, something called a noise musician, which, I mean, I guess just, he's a jazz player. Um uh, uh- Jazz is my favorite to play. I was in a jazz band when I was younger, but I I have to admit that some of it, some of the more eclectic jazz is, um, I have trouble following along with. Yep. I saw a jazz show where it was a lot of weird mouth noises. I only have inappropriate things to say, so I'm going to move right along. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Nightmare clown, but also a master of ceremonies as well, right? So having someone that would be an announcer. So there are a few things that to think about on that list uh interesting bits and pieces but honestly i like to look at the different roles in a circus as well right um i went kind of deep into my personal experiences here uh and then tried to round it out because as much as i was at an like i worked in an amusement park we definitely worked with the carnies and we were the performers that were out there Usually haunted, as I've spoken about before, but I was a clown. My house, the haunted house that I was a part of, was circus-themed. And so it was kind of, it's a little bit, I'm adjacent to to a actual carnival here. And uh, I want to point out that, yes, there are jesters and clowns. Yes, there are knife throwers. Uh, we've talked about fire eaters, but there's also sword swallowers as well. We haven't mentioned stilt walkers yet. There are sleight of hand magicians, right, that are not actually using magic, but just where'd the bird come from? Look at all the handkerchiefs. Here's a card trick. Ventriloquists. There are uh, unicyclists. And we've mentioned jugglers uh, and puppeteers, but those are major factors. You juggle different things. There's a difference between a marionette show and a Punch and Judy kind of puppet show as well, right? Uh, we've mentioned Master of Ceremonies and uh, Carnival Barkers as well, and Satirists, but having those big personalities to use their voice to warm up the crowd before the acts of physical or daring or whatever go off as well, right? You need kind of that that pen and Teller personality, right? So Trapeze Artists, talked about Lion Tamers. This is D&D, so Lion is the beginning of this conversation. Right. Yeah. So now one of my players, uh, his trick, he has a uh, crocodile animal companion. There you go. There you go. Um, but the other things, there are a couple of shows as well. Okay. So total, total sidebar. Uh, I, okay. I'm not going to throw this guy under the bus. I went and saw a show um, as an audience member uh, at the Pacific National Exhibition. We call it the PE. So I went to the PE with Mieka one time and we went and saw. 
a man who claimed to be a hypnotist and a mentalist. And uh, it was the most bullshit show that I have ever seen. It was so bad. And this guy was clearly on some sort of substance 90% of the time, but not during the show and was strung out as all hell. Like it was weird and it was rough, but it's worth mentioning that hypnotists and psychics and whatnot are absolutely shows that could be there, especially if you drop them inside an anti-magic field and have them get all the answers right anyway, right? So it's clearly not magic, right? That could be something that would be fun or interesting. Um, and I don't know how you would approach this considering how weird and magnificent everything already is in medieval fantasy, but a freak show is absolutely a, like a sideshow that, that you could lean into. Yeah, like I did say before, there is the sideshow that they include in here, uh, but it's the sideshow of everyday marvels. So they're all like regular people, but get talked up like they're not regular people. Nice. Uh, my players really hated one of them is the unjoined twins. They're identical twin sisters who have lived parallel lives. And I tell you, my players were rolling their eyes. Yeah. Because, of course, <laughs> I bet. they're unjoined twins by technicality. Yeah. <laughs> like the giant with dwarfism and it's just a man. Right? Yeah. One of them's the bearded man who's good at impressions. <laughs> um. So... I would be really, really careful about a freak show or sideshow. Like you got to be aware of your your players. Um, if anybody listening is going to throw that in there, you don't know what sort of family history people have. With um, I don't even like our language has changed so much. Forty years ago, you'd have said deformities, and now it's conditions. And like you've got to be aware of of how the language has changed. A lot of circus and carnival language is very old timey still. Right. Especially when we talk about things like freak shows and, and uh, circus acts and whatnot. So you've got to be careful. Uh, well, and fortunately for me, I it, my players are twin brothers, so they have the same upbringing and I'm dating one of them. Yeah. So I have the upper hand of I do know my players very well. Yeah, that's that's fair. The the average person listening, though, or especially if you're going to do anything online. With oh people. no! I, I, would I would not touch I would, this would, online. Yeah, I would. I would steer clear of that. But you can replace it with one of the best things that I have ever seen at a at an amusement park or carnival or circus, and that is a human demolition derby. I'm going to do a quick little shout out to the monsters of Schlock because um, Orbo, or not Orbo, uh, Orbax and Sweet Pepper are brothers, and they put themselves through incredible feats of human daring and intense pain. For your amusement, they will do things like staple playing cards to their faces. Uh, they will do like a card trick, and then uh, is this your card? And staple it to to you know the other brother's face. And the guy and the audience says, "No, that's not it." He goes, "Oh, then is it this?" And staples another one. And like it's that shit. Like I have watched them do chainsaw tricks. I have watched them do do nail gun tricks. They uh, and like yeah, see blood. It is wild what they what they are willing to do for each other, especially because Orbax is a uh, I think professor of physics at a university uh, as his day job, and they know enough about human anatomy to know where the soft tissue bits are and how to you know breathe your way through the minor pain and and that kind of stuff. So like they're doing bodily harm, but it's it's not as fantastical as you're used to seeing. I love the idea of you having a troll 
who was up there lopping his own limbs off because you know he'll regrow them. He'll just grow back. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. Oh, that's so, good. But, that that is good. <laughs> so there are there are some interesting shows that you can throw together when you realize that um, your fire eater might be actually eating tiny or diminutive sized uh, fire elementals that then crawl out of his nostrils later. Right. Like we can go absolutely wild with circus performers when we start to think about the D&D counterparts. Right. Um, I love the the Aarakocra that has been plucked. Right. And is but is still going to be a trapeze artist. Right. Even though the wings aren't going to work. So. Oh, geez. I you said an Aarakocra who's been plucked and it put the worst image in my brain. Plucked with a P. Plucked. Yeah, that's what I that's what I tried to say, I guess. I didn't enunciate well. Um, so let's talk for a moment about the wants and needs for you. What archetypes you want to play, not the archetypes of Pathfinder, but like generally yeah. speaking, archetypes or tropes that you want to use in your campaign. Uh, or are there any um uh, ancestries in particular that you want to highlight as well? Yeah, uh you're right. Uh what six of them out of six four of them in the book are all humans let's throw some weird stuff in i mean one of my players is uh as we call it here in pathfinder a gripply or also known as a grung yeah so he's a frog interestingly um, gripplies are in D D. they're a different thing oh yeah we just don't we just don't get them as, as playable races in in fifth edition but gripplies yeah. are absolutely things from that uh, there's nothing weird in here it's all humans um i as a player i like to play small-sized ancestries so you know your goblins your halflings your gnomes that kind of stuff none of that in here yet and you'd think gnomes would be there because gnomes are just essentially treasure trolls with delusions of grandeur and pathfinder if i remember correctly i think i don't really know i didn't go too far in the lore i'm still new at this i just started playing pathfinder this year so uh gnomes are just uh, far more colorful they lean more fey than they do in in D traditionally so yeah it's, uh but yeah what uh i'm trying to let me see if i can pull up right now the the Good news about recording online is we have the internet right here. I know, uh, right? Pathfinder and... Except Search. I have a loud computer. Uh, Archives of Nethys will be where you want to go. It's the official free rules. Yeah, that was the number one thing that popped up. Uh, okay, we have what are... One of the rare a... ancestries I think would be fun to throw in is a skeleton. Oh, yeah, you can play a bunch of weird shit in this, right? Yeah. You, you can play a knoll. You can play a kitsune... What is a fetchling? A fetchling, uh, they're weird kind of bird people, but also not bird people. Uh, since no ancestry in Pathfinder starts with flight. But they're like people with bird features. I think. They're... Actually, no, my bad. Fletchling is not that. No. Uh, they are the ones with the shadow plane influence. Right, okay. It, it's probably Tengu? Tengu is your Kenku. Okay, there's Venara which are monkey-like humanoids. We've got Nagaji, which are serpentine. That makes sense. Leshy, which are guardian emissaries of the environment. They're all plants. The free Uh, RPG day adventures for Pathfinder. He plays Leshies. It's so much fun. What is uh, Azarkedi? They are... 
Are they the spider people? No, aquatic humanoids from the inner sea. Oh, they're like your sea elves. Okay. And then rare one. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. God, there's a lot of these androids is here. Automaton. And there's a flesh warp. There's a lot of there's a lot of stuff. I would be honestly looking to go to these rare ancestries first because they're going to be ones that will pop up at a carnival because oh, yeah. they're not going to fit into your regular society. I'm running a DM PC for this campaign since the module is written for four PCs and I have two. Yeah. So I figured let's throw in a third to make it closer. My character's a poppet. I am a living three foot tall teddy bear. And just because I can, my teddy bear uh, walks around on roller skates. He just skates everywhere. Now, I need I need to know the the attitude of this of this puppet. Um, he so I since I'm also doing the dual class, I'm an air kineticist, which is why I just kind of float around on skates, and I'm also a alchemist. So I'm the doctor. So I'm very much just like we'll make it through, guys. I'll make sure of it. I was just making sure you weren't a Care Bear or Ted. No, no, I very specifically did not want to do either of them. Yeah, fair enough. I'm, um, I'm the uh, pharmacist. I'm not a doctor. I'm an alchemist. So I'm the pharmacist. I we were playing. Sorry, sidebar. Speaking of pharmacists, we were playing Call of Cthulhu before our campaign kind of fizzled. Um, I should really do an episode about that. But we were we were playing, and Sean joined the group later on, and he was he showed up as a pharmacist. But he was a pharmacist in like the 1920s, so he was just handing out opium. And he was just a drug dealer, a government-sponsored drug dealer with his bag of pills. And his whole point was, I am going to poison or pop up everybody around. So I love it. Yep, that's that's kind of how my character goes. But he's a teddy bear on roller skates. Cool, 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 cool. So let's uh, let's pick... Is there is there anything that you desperately want to play before we jump into any specific one? Uh, not particularly, because uh, especially the commons, they're they're common. Um, if something happens to my poppet, I will probably end up as a goblin because I love goblins. So. Okay. And we're looking to make NPCs, not DMPCs, right? Correct. I want NPCs, uh, possible even like circus performers, because uh, the book does not give me a lot uh to go off of for the actual performers themselves do you have um any preferences on alignments genders ages anything like that any not really uh alignment isn't something that i lean heavily in as a dm i think alignment inherently works better retroactively you know to apply the alignment to the actions that you take not the oh i'm a lawful good character so i have to do this i don't like that okay um and are there any skills or traits or tricks that you're like this is clearly missing from the campaign there's no attack rolls no no one does any attacks on anything okay we can change that we Heck can yeah. change that so how many npcs do we want to build totally up to you i mean each book gives six if we do two three that is perfect for me so yeah let's jump on to three npcs give me one second to pull up my notes all right also take notes but i don't think i'm gonna hit needing more performers until after this airs so when it comes to building the npcs there are going to be essentially nine things that i want to focus on just we don't have to flesh out a full, full character, right? 
we should just go through kind of what the uh, what the um, basics are that we're going to need to be able to run through a session. And if the players become more interested, then of course you flesh it out from there. So we're going to do really basic NPC generation. Now, normally what I do is I immediately start off with what role are they playing um, when the party interacts with them. And it usually comes down to what job they have. So clearly this is going to be what act do they do they fulfill, right? What uh, What is the trick that they want to do? Yeah, and I will figure out all of the numbers later. We'll, that is not something I want to try to drag you or the listeners into. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, we're going to sort out the, the history and lore, and then we can you can plug the numbers in later. But um, is there, uh, I've talked a lot about like uh, witch light hands, old and young, retired performers, fey creatures, um, even that harmless little light. I talked about uh, the rapper and dancer who was a wear hair, the vampire that's not actually a vampire, um, a the organ grinder with all the weird little creatures around them, spike wheel acrobats, lampooning satirists, uh, marionette puppeteers, noise musicians, stilt walkers, sleight of hand magicians, like uh, ventriloquists, cyclists, uh, unicyclists, psychics, puppeteers, trapeze artists, uh, animal uh, tamers, contortionists, anything jump out of you is something that you really want to jump into? Pick yeah, one. I mean, oh boy, I think uh, I do want something that does more of an attack for sure. Um, I really liked the idea of throwing in like the hypnotist or something like that. And then maybe even like a card magician. Let's do a hypnotist. What I'm gonna we're gonna build all three at the same time and see what we land on. All right. Perfect. So I'm gonna I'm gonna work on this. So we got a hypnotist, a card magician, and you wanted something with an attack. Now, do you want it to be like uh like a knife thrower? Sure. Is there anything besides knives that we can throw that's gonna be more interesting? Um, there are a lot of weapons that you can throw. We can do axes if we want, of course um javelins these are just off the top of my head heck i can pull up all the throne weapons that pathfinder gives us and it is a lot that's another thing the pathfinder does very differently than uh dnd i have actually stolen from pathfinder when i give out specific weapons and unique uh items to my players because short sword doesn't begin to fucking cover it no, right. No, I just pulled up the page online uh, for just base weapons. These are your mundane, nothing special. There's 304. Fuck. Yeah. I love it. So, is there anything that you see there that uh, that they can throw? Here, let me apply the throne trait. And I want table view. Give me my table view. You know, it would be fucking rad is something that shouldn't be thrown, but is. Bear with me. What if you had a giant that was throwing lances? I love it. I love it. Just like it's a spear or a javelin, just throw a lance. Yeah. And you've got that person standing on the target like you would with a knife thrower. And and the, the lances are just like like shaving the hair off the top of their head or like pinning their clothes to the wall, but not actually hitting them. Yeah. Now, I don't know. I don't think this would be a good one for audience participation because uh, we're not going to kill an audience member. I mean, ah, you live no, a little, but, right? But what you could, you're definitely going to have injuries a part of this one. Oh, yeah. And you're, I think that, um, what are all of the different traits? 
Um, oh, there are a lot. Uh, we could do like agile if we want to make it so they throw a lot. Well, clearly prop, I think, is the... Prop, yeah. Yeah, I think that would go well. Um, I'm planning on introducing these NPCs around fourth level. So about two roles, two to three traits per. More okay. or less as we feel, because... When you're the DM, you do what you want to do. <laughs> uh, I think this is team because you're throwing it at somebody as well. Mm -hmm. uh, and agile, I think, makes sense. So that's like four different traits. Team and injury are mandatory traits. So, yeah. Uh, would we make this choreography like he does a dance and is throwing lances as he does it? Okay, I, I can get into that. So we'll have a, a dance component here. Make him, um, you know, and... do his weird little not pole dance on a lance before he throws it. Yeah. <laughs> weird. <laughs> weird, but I love it. It's um, the circus. The, the card magician um, is going to use props. For sure. Is going to, what was the, was there a sleight of hand one? Um, I don't think there is actually a sleight of hand one looking through it. I don't it's, see yeah, I don't see anything that's like thievery directly. Now, do we want to do audience since you know is this your card? Yeah, that's a great idea. Um, we can uh if I can be honest, we should have an anti-magic field pop up be like, look, none of this happens. Try to cast your spells, nothing, but it doesn't actually like include him, so he is doing magic. <laughs> But it's like really like it, it's small little like pyrotechnics and, and little like puff of smoke kind of stuff. So you would assume that it's just fantastical prop, but it's actually magic, like low level magic. Yeah. You know, get a good prestidigitation going. So we'll put magical on there. And then a lot of times magicians have doves up their sleeves or rabbits in their hats. But that we already have that with like Axel. The... What about emotion? Emotion? Magically? Well, Emotion does want an alchemical or uh, magical to induce emotions. I think that would be better for the hypnotist than the card magician. Yeah, good call. I also want to put time on the hypnotist as well, because I think that's weird. Yeah, I feel like audience, emotion, and time would be really good for a hypnotist. Yeah, um, and not alchemical maybe as well. Maybe, yeah. I, I, I'm sorry for the card magician I'm looking at. Oh, okay, yeah, 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 yeah smoke bombs and the like yeah so that puts us at one second that puts us at uh emotion time and audience for the hypnotist the card magician has prop audience magical and alchemical okay and the I lance feel like thrower. one of magical or alchemical would go well for the uh yeah i don't think we need magical i think alchemical will fit we can put him in an anti-magic field and alchemical works yeah because alchemy can still make puffs of smoke and anti-magic fields yeah and then for the land store we have dance prop and agile but it also comes with team and injury perfect i like it all right so let's pick three uh ancestries all right what would be fun for the hypnotist is there anyone you can either lean into it and be like oh this is the psychic ancestry like we have kalistar or like the psychics um I think that'd be hilarious to have a skeleton hypnotist. Neat. Um, yeah, I was going to say, so you can either lean into it or you can do the exact opposite. 
I think Skeleton kind of leans into it while also not leaning into it. Like, what does this sentient skeleton know that can do this? Uh, I think we chose that the the Lancelot is going to be straight up a giant. I love it. Uh, is there a particular kind of giant? Do they do they have different ones in Pathfinder as well? Not that I'm completely aware of. I mean, I don't think we have a giant per se to play as, but I'm still kind of new, so I could be wrong. I mean, I could do like a particularly shredded knoll. I can just add a giant because I can. Yeah, honestly, I would just use a giant monster stat block and just have it be like a friendly giant. Yeah. So these don't need to be proper ancestries. It's just because they're intelligent creatures, the card magician could be a fucking dragon, right? Like it could be a small dragon that is just like obsessed with cards for some reason. Actually, that's a load of fun. So yeah, there's nothing under my wings, right? Like it could be a load of fun to just have like a wormling, like a like a 40-year-old dragon. See, now my counterpoint to that would be I think it would be fun to do like a pixie for that, where the cards are almost as big as they are. <laughs> I love it. What by instead of like like standing on a deck of cards and just running in place to deal them out. <laughs> yes. Love it. Okay, so we've got um skeleton, pixie, and giant. I've got gender is the next thing I normally come up with. Skeleton doesn't need that even really. Like there's no sex or gender. They can they can wear a cloak. No one's going to be measuring their hip bones. Yeah, right. So um, that would be androgyny, I guess. Yeah, uh, Pathfinder does a lot into that where they encourage, you know, are you a guy, a girl? Do you use they, them pronouns? There's several deities in this game that do that. It's weird because it's definitely in Dungeons and Dragons, but it is very much hidden. Like you've got to go looking for it. Like the lore on kobolds and even elves have the ability to change gender over time, but under very specific circumstances. And that is a throwaway bit of lore that you do not find like that is not never the focus of anything. Right. Yeah. Um, The idea that uh, it never says it out loud, but in the Theros book, which is all Greek themed, there's a lot of uh, characters there. The art is very, very um, intimate between two men. Like there are two men, like one has their hand on the other one's shoulders. They're staring off into the, into the horizon. Or one of them is like fixing the other one's hair and stuff. It's <laughs> never mentioned in the text, but the art supports it. And so it's, I feel like Woods of the Coast just won't commit to it because they're trying to hit the broadest audience possible, right? Paizo Which, commits to it. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, points for effort, but do better. <laughs> like, I agree. I agree. Um, card magician for the pixie. We're talking gender here, or Ugh. sex, or whatever. So I'm not sure. It could literally be any option. They could be. Let's see. Well, what do I have in the book? Let's see. Uh, there's a guy. There's a girl. There's a whole team. There's a family. There's two sisters and a girl. There is a lack of men in this circus. All right. Let's do a male pixie. And then for the giant, oh, we didn't come up with their assistant. Oh, yes, the giant assistant. Who who should be a medium-sized creature, right? Yes, absolutely. Um, I would say go middle of the road just because it, it the giant is the fantastical part of this, right? Yeah. So I would normally go human, but there's so many other humans already. 
that maybe we should pick something along the lines of a uh, do you guys have half elves and so yes half elves and half orcs are actually a heritage of humans okay with optional rules to allow any ancestry to be half orc or half elf do you want to lean into something like a tengu or an or a hobgoblin or yeah we could we could do either of those uh Hobgoblins in Pathfinder are way more goblin-esque. They're just like tall goblins. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm looking at that now. Yeah, they're just essentially tall goblins. I gotta say, I absolutely hate the art for Pathfinder goblins. The ears are just comical to me. <laughs> I actually like the regular goblin, but hate the hobgoblin. Mm -hmm. I, yeah, I want to go medium-sized, because if, if they're small size, how many lances can you really throw at them, right? Yeah, um, because hmm. part of me is like, oh, we could do like an orc. Um, we could also do uh, a serpent person. Although one of my players hates snakes, so that he loves Mister Tickles. I'll tell you what. <laughs> uh, what about what about doing a rat folk that comes in on the giant shoulder and like scampers down the arm and stuff? I love that. They're gonna get so mad if I hit that rat with the lance. <laughs> um uh what do you think for the genders uh for the giant and the rat folk um because hmm. i mean obviously you're gonna think oh if i if i want it to be a giant that does his little dance on a lance i feel like being a woman is problematic and it's and it is hilarious if he's like got uh you know what he should he should come out um like in in like barbarian garb with like the big furs and stuff but then when yeah. it's time to actually do it he like whips it off and is wearing just like a banana hammock <laughs> yes uh and the rat folk that he's throwing at traditionally the assistant is female so i feel like that's just a automatic go-to yeah and i'm okay with that um age skeleton is who knows just question question a, question question mark question mark question mark uh, the pixie again. It's Fey. It doesn't really matter. Yeah. Right. Although it would be absolutely amazing to make them like less than a year old or ten thousand years old. One extreme to the other. Yeah. Which one? Which one do you think is more fun? Um, I I feel like the skeleton making them thousands of years old, and then having the pixie just be like this three-year-old pixie. Um thousands of years time doesn't pass easily inside a crypt so he has no idea how old the skeleton is no idea uh the giant i mean i want to say you know mid to late 20s if that in whatever giant terms that is yeah um, i'm using my giant episode folk? mug and i don't even know how old giants live to <laughs> what kind of fan am i well it's funny because i don't think they ever mentioned age of giants in the, any of the giants episodes because there's not a whole lot about it the only note that we really get about age at all um the higher is, in the ordering you are the high, the older you are it it's i think follows just human per age progression because they've standardized it for all humanoids in the monster manual except for the ones that are very clearly different elves gnomes dwarves right but aracocra yeah. orcs halflings just like a human perfect so. yeah i'm thinking you know mid 20s uh, someone who's going to be comfortable throwing lances and isn't worried that they're going to throw a hip out. Oh, uh, and for the rat folk? I can't decide if I want her to be super young or super old. Like grandma rat. 
Grandma Rat is amazing, and I'm writing that down. Grandma Rat. There Grandma Rat getting lances the bigger than her thrown at her. Fucking hilarious. Uh, do is there anything about personality traits or alignment that we want to throw up there for any of them? Um, anything? Eh, more of just like personality, general role playing. A lot, uh, like alliances and uh, alignment are kind of whatever. Obviously, their alliances are going to be to living in a circus where they're actually accepted as wanted members of a society. Mm-hmm. Well, we're going to have both the skeleton and the pixie. They deal with the audience quite a bit. So they've got to have bigger than life. They are presences in the room. They are oh yeah, big, boisterous, and bold, right? Skeleton I want to play is kind of like creepy and give the audience the what does this skeleton know vibe. Mm-hmm. And the pixie should be, I, I just feel hyperactive. Hyperactive overconfident. For the lance thrower, you know what would be cool is if the giant never speaks a word and just dances and it's the rat focus system that is all I the was talking. literally thinking the same thing. <laughs> is, yeah. Um, is she a sweet old grandmother type or is she like a, a craven old crone? I'm, I'm, I'm leaning more sweet old grandmother who uh, calls anyone hun or sugar or anything like that. I am quite fond of playing the Southern Belle type characters because I can actually do that accent. Nice. Um, Now, here's the thing that makes my NPCs stand out to my players. So uh, it's a little bit trickier, and this is where we're going to step outside of the roles that they necessarily have here, is the relationships. So who else are they attached to out in in the carnival, in the circus? And I mean, our giant and rat folk are clearly a, a duo right yeah um but does that grandmother type have other rat folk that are there like is is this a giant among a large group of rat folk that are i don't know stagehands even they don't necessarily need to be performers that would be i i think i like that a couple of rat folk um grandmother rat is also going to take an axel because i'm playing him as a complete nervous wreck who's never performed in the circus before so she'll be grandma to him okay and Axel. also how many how many other rat folk do you have a do you have a die there um i can get one real quick i think my dice bag's close by it's not give me two seconds all right what die size are we picking uh we're, we're gonna figure out how many rat folk are gonna be in the in the little nest do you want to pick do we want to say like 2d4 anywhere between two and eight Two to two d four, yeah, that works. I was just looking at the d twelve, and I'm like, how hilarious would that be if I rolled a twelve? Grab three d four. Let's find out. Heck yeah! If I can find them, I bought the bag of holding, so there's literally ten sets of seven piece dice in here. I was looking at that online, and I kept thinking to myself, Adam, you don't need more more dice sets. I have so, a rule: I can't buy any more for myself. I can have them gifted to me, but I can't buy them. I bought it when I first started playing and started DMing because I literally had one, maybe two sets of dice. Now run a campaign with four players and a DM with one, maybe two sets of dice. Oh, that's rough. No. So let's see. 3D4, how many rats do we have? I rolled three threes. So nine. Nine of them. I can't believe I rolled four 3D4 and got the same roll on all three. And does the giant just hang out with the rat folk? Yep, he just follows grandma. Doesn't say a word. Cool. Our pixie. This is where I want to start leaning out and and away from the performer aspect of it. And who is the pixie behind the scenes, right? Hyperactive and overconfident, 
But are you liable to see her playing poker with some of the other seasoned, like veteran a acts, gambling addiction? She... Sorry, a crippling gambling addiction. It's something like you you could absolutely have like the the pixie might be more willing than the others to fall into with some sort of debauchery of some sort yeah. to have a vice. I think I like the gambling because it leans into the overconfident as well. And then everyone always accuses them of cheating, which sometimes they do. They're a card magician. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, do they have a significant other? Are they there with a sibling? Are they like, is there any other family member or did they arrive with someone else who's not necessarily a pixie, but maybe another kind of fae? Hmm. Or are they a solo? Um. I don't think I've decided that. Uh, book one takes us into a lot of uh, a group of druids. So I think it would be fun for when my players get through the group of druids that the pixie is there gambling and uh, they cut a deal with a party or something on getting rid of their gambling debt and they'll uh, go with them. All right, I, I wrote druids in there. For the skeleton, who's probably been around for a long time, right with with the circus are they gonna have this is where i would have the skeleton maybe was an old personal friend of the dead ringleader Ooh, i do like that and if i don't do the ringleader i might do the professor because those two were homies cool 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 so like a, a hypnotist on stage and then kind of like a, a world weary old soul you know behind the scenes right whose anecdotes and sayings are so old no one hears them anymore i love it give me give me one second here to uh flesh out the notes here pardon the pun on the skeleton <laughs> all right and now we need to know what the trick or the trait is and this is clearly like what like we know it's a hypnotist a card magician but what are we calling it yeah so you get three actions for the circus much like you do in combat um and you have to perform a trick at least once um there is an option to send in the clowns in case you royally fuck up and need the clowns to distract <laughs> distract the audience i fucking love it Mm -hmm. So uh, I like to plan for at least two actions worth of trick to get through it with an option for a third one if you decide to go for the third one. Sure, that makes sense. Let's focus. Uh, well, who do you want to focus on first? Um, We'll start with the giant. All right. So the <laughs> my other thing is, you know how they all have like the names of the act, right? Oh, yes. Dramatically describing the act. Yeah. I want to call this one the giant Lancer Dancer. Yes. The giant Lancer Dancer. Um, and we have Dance, Prop, and Agile. And I think that would we start off with Agile as the rat folk comes down and and like off the shoulder and she does a twist and a twirl and all that stuff? Okay, or... I think so Agile's just, it's it's more of a, it reduces your penalty for the doing the same trick. Uh, that would be easy for them to do. They come out and they do their little dance. So we'll start off with, well, with the with the intro dance yeah because while this is you have your three actions like it's combat it's not a six second round this is a circus performance so yeah. you have more time to fill in the little details of each action okay so there'll be a long well not long long but like there'll be an intro dance the two of them like she comes in on the shoulder and like twirls down his arm and the two of them like 
hilariously waltz with each other despite the size differences. And then, you know, she twirls over to the board and slams her body against it as he starts, you know, burying lances in the dirt and dancing around. Like, it's a huge intro dance kind of feel. Um, And then we'll jump into the actual throwing of the lances. Yep. Yep. Sounds good. Does, does she introduce him as he hits random targets? And then at the end of the, of the trick, he actually throws at her. Like, is he knocking down pumpkins and watermelons first or is he? Okay. Yeah. Maybe. I mean, we could do like a slapstick style thing where uh, they do their little dance and then, you know, he starts lobbing them at her misses once or twice on purpose, like misses every time only for her to, you know, get a gotcha as she clotheslines him with a lance or something. That's cute. That's fun. Well, I guess clothes line. It'd be more of a tripwire trip. Yeah. <laughs> <Clothes> <laughs> line. So that is. So we've got the intro dance, and then we've got the. What are we gonna call that? Vaudeville routine. Yeah, vaudeville slapstick. Same thing, right? Yeah, and then uh, and then it turns into the actual throwing of the lances. Yeah. All right, that is good and easy. Uh, card magician or hypnotist? Which one do we want to do next? Uh, let's do the card magician. Save the hypnotist for last. All right. Is this our Trixie Pixie? The Trixie Pixie. I like it. Um, prop, audience, and alchemical. How do we want to start this act? Um, he's just going to show up in a smoke cloud to start off. There's just alchemical? Cloud of smoke, yep. And he's just going to, as the smoke clears, he's standing in center stage on his table with his deck of cards. I think it would be fucking hilarious, too. Like, the puff of smoke is big enough to, like, engulf a huge creature. And as it dissipates, it's just a small table with a pixie on it. Yep, like yeah. a tiny little nightstand with a deck yeah. of cards and a pixie standing <laughs> on it. I love it. Um, and then audience participation clearly is next. And then we, we get into the card tricks from there, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we don't have to go too far into detail of, is this your card? No. That's that's fine. Although I do feel like there's a lot of card tricks like uh, um, flicking the cards up into the air and catching them as well, even though they're massive. You could you could have her or sorry, have him. Sorry, the pixie in my campaign is female. So uh, you could have you could have him use them as like tucking one under each arm and use them as wings to flap. Even though the pixie <laughs> already has wings, and like I like that, you know, the card tricks themselves don't have to be that. Is this your card? I think we should end on that. But there'd be a whole bunch of other stuff as well, right? Have the audience members shuffle the cards three times, throw the whole deck in the air, and they fly it and pick it up all in sequential order. Yeah, 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 stuff like that. I think that would be really, really fun and really neat. Especially if we could have little alchemical things going off, like um, the every one of the aces when they're when they're grabbed they explode with glitter and i love it shit like that so for the hypnotist and i don't have a name for the for the skeleton yet but what is the what does the act look like so it will of course be audience participation um now do i do this more like a mind reader type thing or more of a like i'm going to make you do these ridiculous things hypnotist it could well it could honestly be both Having a psychic skeleton that literally doesn't have a brain is so funny for me. Yep, yep. It, it, it was it was a good choice. I like it. This could just be called something like 
You don't you don't have to go nuts with a hilarious pun or a rhyming scheme. This could just be like Dr. Bones, right? Or like and that's all, right? You don't have to go just like the the examples they gave us was like Mr. Tickles, right? Yeah. I the mean Flamboni sisters. Up, the Flamboni sisters. That's just their name. Yeah. So I'm thinking like just uh, w- just Dr. Bones and the whatever, or Dr. Bones' Magnificent Mind Reading or something, right? Yeah, Dr. Bones' Magnificent Mind Games, which is funny because my poppet character, I named him Dr. Pinstripe, so they're going to be feuding on who's the doctor. (laughs) Dr. Bones' Magnificent, can I spell? Yeah, I can. I can't, but spell check exists. Uh, Dr. Bones' Magnificent Mind um, Manipulations, just for the alliteration. Sure, yeah. All right. And then, uh, so there's audience, time, and emotion. Okay. Um, Of course, yeah, audience, I think we get how that's going to go. You get your audience member or members. Time and manipulation. I think he's going to be way more magical with actual magic uh, than anything. Yeah but I'm not sure how I want to make it go. So I do think I like the idea of kind of making him a little bit more on the actual magical side. Um, Because of course that's how time, I I don't know how else you would manipulate time without magic. We should add magical then to the uh, the traits. I feel like, let's see, because then we have audience, magical, emotion, and time. That's going to be four of them. I'm okay with that. Yeah. All right. So I think the very first thing that you should do is come out an audience. Like, yeah. Um, emotion, I think, is another one that very clearly right off the bat. Yeah. Would hit. And I think that would be good to fit with a lot of the, oh, I'm mind reading. I can tell, you know, what you had for dinner last night and uh, what secret you're keeping. Yeah. And then that brings us to, I think, time next, just because he's manipulating people. And then end on magical or yeah. whatever. Well, and I think magical can be sprinkled through all of them. Yeah. You kind of pick with each of your three actions what role you're going to do, but you can mix multiple traits into each role. Fair enough. Now, we've got these three different acts. Do we have a plot hook for each one? Um, I think we kind of got the pixie and how to bring him in with the druid clan. Um, I can bring in the giant and the mouse from the evil circus, if I would like, you know, have them leave the evil circus as well when they hear about the success of our circus. You could also have them show up as NPCs that recognize your player who escaped. Mm, Yes, yes, I could. You got out and it inspired us to get out too. Yes, yeah, 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 I like that. And then the skeleton you said was going to be a uh, longtime friend of the deceased ringleader. Yeah. And he heard the news of what happened and he wanted to come pay his respects and be a part of the legacy that he left. Because after thousands of years, he finally found some sort of a purpose in life. Do we want the hypnotist to... uh, So we're solving the mystery of how the ringleader died, right? Yes. Um, The stat block that I showed you, she literally comes out the night after the performance and says, I did it, it was me! So it's not much of a mystery on how he died, but now we're on to the why. Do we want our skeleton hypnotist to show up and spurn the players forward every time that they get off track with something 
the the skeleton will will magically pop up and be like you know we have higher priorities <laughs> i think i like that because uh, y- you know a thing or two about how my players are gonna <laughs> act <laughs> one of them the one that just says i'm gonna do this now make it happen uh we played a one shot and his character just wanted a cabbage from the cabbage stall and we literally spent like five minutes on him i want this cabbage <laughs> okay okay fine have a cabbage that just sounds like literally every player i've ever met <laughs> even dan got distracted by an elephant tied to a tree one time that derailed us for about 10 minutes so he tried to jeez. befriend an elephant jeez no my other player uh he will often go this is the objective let's do it let's go let's go let's go and he railroads himself yeah, I've got a couple of those at the table too. That's Dave and Charlie for me, is they are eyes on the prize, right? So I can absolutely see that from Dave. Yeah. Um, now we just need to name them. This is the hardest and the final thing. Now that we know who these people are, we got to give them names. Isn't that the hard part? <laughs> that literally is the hardest part. Now, I usually have the other hosts, well, when it comes to naming and whatnot, they will type in, you know, fantasy name generator and they will use the one that pops up. And I find it, I absolutely hate it. I absolutely hate the fantasy name generator because I find it to be the basic bitch of name generators. That's fair. I like to, anytime I go on fantasy name generator, I hit refresh approximately 50 times Yeah. until I find some combination of everything that I actually liked. Yeah, I on, I often find that a lot of the names there are especially the ones that aren't words they're just like weird elven noises or weird goblin noises and yeah i i will grab syllables out of different ones and smash them together to find the oh, thing yeah. i like um i i could if i want to make my players absolutely love the pixie his name is going to be pickles 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 the pixie now pickles the pixie is that the stage name ooh because part of me wants to say yes and give him more of a serious name, but also, what if that's just his nickname that he goes by and that's not his real name? What if you net a fake creature never tells you their real name? You can call me Pickles. I like it. Yep. Or he, uh, very early in life, lost his actual name. So that's just the name that he found that works for him. Uh, our hypnotist. We already called him Doctor Bones. Does it, I need? What, the, what was his name in life? What is the oldest like archaic name you can think of from thousands okay of all right hold on ago. he is archibald archibald von i don't know <laughs> it, it's it's got to be one of these old-timey european names let me old european surnames is he does he have a british accent we absolutely can but i think archibald von <laughs> and something british is yeah. just enough clashing to make it work <laughs> can you roll a d20 yep we're gonna find out what letter it starts with i've, I've pulled up a list of old-timey names 11 uh that is a k um <laughs> killingworth is a little on the nose archibald von killingworth uh von kinnersley von von kingswood von king archibald kingsbury i like it archibald kingsbury i <laughs> <laughs> like if, every time he introduces himself offstage uh archibald kingsbury of the northern kingsburys right like <laughs> archibald kingsbury the 16th of the northern kingsburys yeah. uh, and you're like that family tree ended like five thousand years ago sir 
Too soon. The Northern Kingsburys. Make him old school friends with the dead god that uh, <laughs> whose power we have to harness. Love it. Um, do we want to lean into the giant being relatively dumb or no? Um, I don't think if they're never going to speak, part of me is like, make them a genius. And when they do speak, it's like, holy shit, that was smart. Or just when they do speak, you're like, I bet you, you ate rocks for breakfast. <laughs> Either one. It has to be one of the two extremes, though. Yeah, like, eat any good books lately, buddy? <laughs> um, I think that we should give him a dumb name and high intelligence. Perfect. And will he never how, speak how on stage? Oscar, right? Dumb names. Let's go with it. Let's do it. Yep. Dan's going to kill us. Never speaks on stage. However is absolutely intelligent and verbose backstage. Uh, Only speaks in haikus. I'm going to spell Oscar with a K just so we drive that home for Dan. Just for Dan. Uh, and then, uh, like, we could just, like, Grandma Whiskers. But, like, do we <laughs> yes. want do, do to give a real name or is Grandma Whiskers enough? I like Grandma Whiskers. I played a goblin warlock for a one shot with a group of online friends. Uh, my whole premise was uh, big titty voodoo mama goblin. You know, and I never came up with a name, so I just made them all call her mama. Sometimes that's all you need. It was a one shot. Like, come on, you don't need more. I am going to grab a screenshot of this and drop it into our Discord chat so that you can see it. Heck yeah. Um, how, and I'm also going to drop it in as uh, uh, on the Patreon when this episode airs so that people can see them. I love it. Um, but before we go any further into it, let me let me summarize then what I've got here. We have a skeleton hypnotist who is at this point male. We said it's androgyny, but clearly we've skewed male on this. So, I think, yeah. Uh, thousands of years old. Uh, he's bold and loud and creepy on stage and is an old soul behind the scenes. Uh, he's got a personal relationship with the ringleader uh, who is dead and also probably knows the professor pretty well as well. His trick is called Dr. Bones's Magnificent Mind Manipulations. And uh, he uh, had the traits for the trick are audience, emotion, time, and magical. His purpose is that he keeps the players on task with the dead ringleader mystery. And his real name, which they may learn if they know him well enough, is the Archibald Kingsbury, the 16th of the North, uh, Northern Kingsburys. And he will introduce it in full every time. Every time. Every time. Every time someone calls him Archibald, he will correct them. Because players will call right. him Archie. We know that, right? That'll just be their shorthand for him. Yeah, let's go find out what Archie's doing. So Never say it to his face. Never say it to his face. He doesn't have nostrils, and yet somehow they flare every time they, they do that. So um, The card magician is a pixie who is a male, but he is three years old. He's hyperactive and overconfident, but also has a gambling addiction. He's suckered a whole bunch of druids into gambling with them, and they're in debt to him, and they will need help with that later. His act is called the Trixie Pixie, and he starts off with an alchemical smoke cloud, dives right into audience participation, 
and then focuses on all sorts of card tricks. Uh, this is going to include uh, prop, audience, and alchemical. And his name is Pickles. His real name is unknown to the players, maybe even to him as well. We've I'll got a lance-throwing act, the giant Lancer Dancer, which is a giant male in his mid-20s and a rat folk female who is elderly. He is a silent dancer who never speaks on stage, but is hyper-intelligent and very verbose backstage. She is talkative and sweet grandmotherly type. They hang out with Axel of the Axel's Amazing Aviary fame and nine other rat folk. You damn well know they're going to start asking for names. You might want to flesh those out at some point. I will. They will want to know names. They were inspired to leave the evil circus by the player that did. And they followed in their footsteps to join this this carnival, this circus. Uh, And their names are Oscar and Grandma Whiskers. I love this. This is freaking amazing. How bad is Oscar going to feel if Grandma Whiskers gets hurt? Well, I think he'd live up to the namesake of Oscar. I like the idea of the injury role is actually Oscar because he his nerves are shaken and he just yes. feels too bad. I can't do it. She's like, it was just a scratch. Yep. Yep. I like it. <laughs> so um, I love these three acts. This was a lot of fun. So four characters, three acts, uh, three different plot hooks, one that's tied into the initial mystery, one for a future plot hook involving the druids and one with a backstory tie to one of the players. We've talked about a lot of different NPC jobs around circuses and whatnot, as well as some interesting mechanics here. Is there anything else, any final thoughts that you have about this topic? No, I mean, I th- I think that just about covered all of it for uh, my circus. I appreciate the help, and it's going to be a lot of fun. This was a blast. I have wanted to do circus stuff, and I had... In my campaign, uh, Dan, Charlie, and Dave were all circus performers, but we never got to see the circus. They came into the world, and they would talk about it, but we never got to play with it. And they were, in fact, the players were at odds about, is the circus they were part of evil behind the scenes, or what were their jobs, or who else was there? And so we never really got to play into it. This is a blast. And Dan's character is the only one of the three of them that's still alive in our campaign. And I'm going to 100% bring these characters forward as circus performers that will drop through a portal and be like, hey, remember me? I love it. I love it. No, and I think you could easily take the these circus subsets and apply them to 5th edition. I mean, it's skill checks and additional traits that work with the skills. I think this is easily something you can adapt into 5th edition. 100%. This is, um, this, if you wanted to do this, you just make a skill challenge. Yeah. I mean, it, that's essentially all it is, is a skill challenge, or you can do an attack roll, or you can do a saving throw. Uh, that's all in fifth edition. Yep. Makes perfect sense. Do you have any people, personal social media or projects or anything you'd like to mention or shout out before we wrap up? Well, uh, just just my players. Uh, they're the real MVPs here. They uh, originally were like, okay, fine. This is something you want to do. I'll humor you and do this. Uh, and now they're asking me midweek, what are we doing? What do we prepare for? Like, how can I help out? One of them curates my music, and I appreciate him so much for that. Uh, they're, they're, they're the stars of the show when you don't have a game without your players. So I appreciate them. That's awesome. You're going to shut them up by name or you're just going to leave them in, in anonymity. I, I didn't ask them if they were okay with me putting their names out on the internet, so I won't do it. Fair enough. 
So that's all for our discussion on building circus NPCs. Thank you, Scott, for choosing this topic, for sitting down to create this with me, and for supporting the Patreon. Thank you for listening to another episode of the It's a Mimic podcast. If you'd like to support us, we have a donate button on our website, www.itsamimic.com, a store with some It's a Mimic merch, and a Patreon. This episode and others can also be found on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and most other podcast apps. Thanks again for listening to It's a Mimic, where you never know what you're going to get. Cue theme song. That's not even how it goes. That's not, that's not even close to how it goes, but it's still more accurate than half of the time when Brad does that. And he does it every time we, we cut to either intro or outro music. I love it. Thank you.